This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting Corporation and Supertalk Mississippi Media. Thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joe Laden Sami, your co-host, joined by economist Natasha Serdorch, co-founder of International Leaders Summit and the Jerusalem Leaders Summit. America's Roundtable guests include leading voices from business, government, media, energy, technology, healthcare, and the broad policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, and Spotify. Visit America's Roundtable at americasrt.com. We invite donors and advertisers to reach us by visiting our website, americasrt.com. Welcome to America's Roundtable. It's Saturday morning, and welcome to America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. We are delighted to welcome a special guest, Deborah Laprevot, former senior FBI official, a principal leader addressing global corruption and strengthening the rule of law. Uh, Deborah had a 20-year career with the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Uh, Deborah served as a supervisory special agent on the International Corruption Unit at the FBI headquarters in Washington, D.C., and was instrumental in launching the FBI's kleptocracy program. Uh, Deborah traced and seized more than $1 billion from foreign corrupt officials. She has spent the past 23 years working international corruption investigations. Uh, Deborah Laprevot is also a forensic scientist and spent several years on the FBI's Evidence Response Team Unit at the FBI Lab. Uh, Deborah, it is a great honor to welcome you back to America's Roundtable. Good morning to you. Good morning, uh, Joel and Natasha. So wonderful to be back with you. It's great to have you back on America's Roundtable, Deborah. On the issue of addressing corruption and working on strategic initiatives to strengthen the rule of law in America and the rest of Western democracies, and especially developing nations, there is a tendency to trivialize the adverse impact of these problems. And I appreciate the recent words of the Commonwealth Secretary General, the Right Honorable Patricia Scotland Casey, on this important issue. The Commonwealth of Nations is a voluntary association of 56 nations, all British colonies, and home to 2.5 billion people, some one-third of the world's population and includes both advanced economies and developing countries. And on May 15 of this past year, Secretary General, the Right Honorable Patricia Scotland Casey, joined the anti-corruption heads and shared the following words, I quote, while we tend to think of corruption in purely monetary terms, the truth is that it costs us the quality of our lives. No country, region, or community is immune. It damages education, health, justice, democracy, prosperity, and development. Tackling corruption brings multiple benefits, poverty is reduced, economic stability and growth are increased, and the standards of living are raised, unquote. And she went on to share that illicit financial flows cost the global economy $3.6 trillion. And Deborah, Natasha and I vividly remember your succinct thoughts shared at a Washington DC event when explaining the impact of corruption to an audience and how it may impact a family in Virginia or for that matter, families in the Midwest and the South. Deborah, why should Americans care about corruption at home and abroad? And could you relay your reasoning on the adverse impact of corruption and why hardworking and law-abiding citizens in America's heartland ought to be concerned about this terrible scourge impacting our modern society. 
Yeah, you know, it's it's so interesting because so many people don't know the impact that corruption has on them. But for an example, you know, I follow the money. Well, right before I left the FBI in 2015, I was looking at illicit money coming into the U.S. Um, financial system and U.S. property, right? And there was a 70% increase in the sale of luxury properties in California to Chinese nationals. So what does that mean to the, to the average U.S. person trying to buy property in California, right? Uh, they're going to come in and somebody's coming to the table from another country with cash. They're willing to pay much over market. And so you're not going to be able to compete and buy the property that you want. Uh, look at the amount of money coming in uh, from Russia, China, and elsewhere buying U.S. agricultural land. If you had bacon this morning, thank China because they bought Smithfield ham, right? And um, California just passed a bill uh, or a law that is going to prevent foreign nationals from buying California agricultural land because so much of our farmland is being bought by foreign entities. Why is that money coming into the United States? What is the source of that money? So if you're looking at Venezuela, look at how much property in Florida has been bought by illicit money coming in from Venezuela. Uh, a lot of Russian money coming in to New York. Iran owned part of a, a high rise in New York. So yes, U.S. corporations, um, a a lot of illicit money is coming into the mining sector in West Virginia. So, I mean, you don't know because it's not, obviously, they're not putting out that information. But if you start digging into who's buying, who's investing in America, a lot of that money is illicit money. And then, of course, U.S. shell companies are being used to commit fraud abroad. And we should care about that because the reason they're buying U.S. companies or shell corporations is because it adds an air of legitimacy. Look, it's a U.S. company. It's a Delaware. It's a Nevada. It's a Oregon. It's a Wyoming company. But they're being used for fraud. And there's no, they're not U.S. companies. I mean, on paper they are, but there's no building. There's no employees. So, I mean, the tentacles of corruption come from foreign corruption coming to the United States are everywhere. Mm, right. And Deb, we came a long way from your launching of the Kleptocracy Initiative at the FBI and your leadership in tracing and seizing more than $1 billion from foreign corrupt officials. Your efforts led to a greater understanding of how corruption in other countries affect Americans. And in one of your interviews, you shared, and I quote, when you have a bad, corrupt regime, you have instability in that country. When you have instability, what you don't have is jobs. And you want to talk about a breeding ground for terrorism? End of quote. So corrupt regimes rob their people of economic opportunities, which we can see on America's southern border. And many times corruption abroad forces America to get involved militarily. Uh, Deb, could you share with us your observations about this interconnection between Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the Balkan Wars, and other places with kleptocracy and corruption in those countries? You all br brought it up, Joel. You mentioned it, the impact that corruption has on the people, the citizens of a country, right? As you both know, I've been working in South Sudan for the last seven years, um, corruption in South Sudan. And so when... When state coffers are looted, 
what suffers, right? Then there is no money for education. There is no money for healthcare. There is no money for all of these social services that should be helping the citizens of the United States. And even worse, often the military is used against their own citizens, right? So that a corrupt regime can stay in power. Look at Sudan right now. It is after a coup in uh, distress. If you look at the most corrupt countries in the world, people are starving. There is food insecurity. There is lack of education. The poverty related to corruption is overwhelming. Now you go into someplace like the Balkans. Croatia uh, has opened the door to let illicit money into their country. I mean, look at the real estate sector. Uh, you and I have had this conversation before, but right. a lot of dirty money is coming in uh, in cash. And I think that's the reason that Croatia was recently added to FATF's gray list. A lot of people are welcoming dirty money. Look at the uh, UAE. Years ago, like 20 years ago, when I was looking at you know money laundering cases, I looked at Switzerland. Not anymore. Now I look at the United Arab Emirates uh, and the dirty money coming into the UAE. Well, Croatia right now is in the same boat. Yes, unfortunately. And regard to wars and terrorism, I recall the words of the late Ambassador Richard Holbrook, U.S. diplomat and author, who conveyed his concerns when he included this statement in his book on the Balkans to end a war. And I quote, Yugoslavia's tragedy was not foreordained. It was the product of bad, even criminal political leaders who encouraged ethnic confrontation for personal, political, and financial gain. And rather than tackle the concrete problems of governance in post-Tito era, they led their people into war. Or unquote. And we have seen that in Russia, how Putin and his inner circle have waged war against a sovereign state. And for a layperson, there is a tendency to equate money laundering with lesser crimes and not for economic crimes that sustain criminal enterprises. Deb, could you, in your own words, explain to us what money laundering is about, because the average American sometimes hears those terms used uh, very regularly and doesn't understand how and where this all comes from and what it does to our financial system and how it emboldens these criminal networks to not just survive, but to thrive as well. Yeah, you know, m money laundering, it's interesting because there is a... Um there's a spectrum of money laundering, right? Uh, when I was with the FBI and a very simple example of money laundering would be I'm investigating a drug dealer. He takes the proceeds of the drug dealing. He buys a vehicle and he puts the car's registration in his girlfriend's name, right? He has laundered that money because he is hiding his ownership in that. It, you know, it looks like it's his, it's not, it's not my car. It's my girlfriend's car, but no, it's the proceeds of corruption. But then you go the other spectrum. You have someone like Putin or uh, Yanukovych, the former president of Ukraine. Now you have shell corporations. You have multiple layers. Um, uh, you have BVI corporations. You, you, the money is going through Cyprus. The uh, assets are in the name of a nephew or the wife, but never the, the subject of the investigation. And so money laundering can become very complex when it is multiple layers 
of companies in, in multiple countries hiding the true ownership of an asset. And so for an investigator, that's 15 more steps of investigation to find out who owns this shell company. That shell company is owned by four other shell companies. Who owns those? And how do I ultimately prove who really owns that asset? And you were mentioning a moment ago the impact of, of money laundering. And I go back to uh, Ukraine in 2014, right? When President Yanukovych fled Ukraine in 2014, I get a phone call, Deb, we need boots on the ground. And I'm like, you need my boots on the ground? Oh my God. Next thing I know, I'm on a plane and I'm flying to Kiev. And uh, I get there and, I, and I'm like, hi, you know, I'm Debbie, I'm with the FBI. And they're like, we're being invaded. Could you come back? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, I, I know. That's, you know, that's why I'm here. And I mean, literally, under President Yanukovych, $40 billion was siphoned out of the economy. What does that mean? There was no money in Ukraine at the time. And they decimated the military. What did that do? That opened the door for Putin to invade uh, Ukraine and to annex Crimea. I mean, they literally took part of a country away. And all of that is related to corruption because President uh, Yanukovych was in cahoots with uh, President Putin. Right. Now you have uh, a decade later or less than a decade later, it's happening again. And for what people don't know is that President Yanukovych was waiting in the wings. If President Putin is successful in uh, defeating Ukraine, he is attempting to put Yanukovych back in office. And so this is a vicious cycle. And, uh, you know, if, if people want to know in America why we should be concerned about Ukraine, I mean, that's a perfect example. Uh, Russia would take over and have a stronger foothold in Europe and working its way west. Right. And Debbie brought up Croatia. And on June 23, 2023, Croatia became the only EU member country listed by the Financial Action Task Force, which is International Financing Crime Watchdog, on its so-called gray list of countries under special scrutiny due to Croatia's deficiencies in the prevention of money laundering and terrorism financing. And this comes as no surprise, since we know that local authorities refuse to investigate rampant political corruption and regularly reject criminal complaints. And we talked about it. In this particular case of Croatia, which is also a NATO member, America's taxpayers are sustaining the same corrupt network through the local shipyard in which we repair U.S. Navy ships. Through the World Bank's funding, we built the city of Rijeka sports infrastructure that is given into concession to a former partner of Sberbank, which is Russia's state-owned bank connected to Putin, also present in Croatia. And we will continue to bankroll the same corrupt network by using the local just-built LNG facility. So in our role as U.S. taxpayers, we continue to send money to build infrastructure in countries that in return block our American private investments and opportunities to export U.S. goods and services. So the unintended consequences of the U.S. free and cheap money, I call it, is that technically we are blocking ourselves from entering new markets. And then the void is filled by Russian and Chinese tycoon-sustained-run entities who are exacerbating the kleptocracy of lax law nations. And this vicious cycle continues, creating more rogue and mafia states. Uh, Deb, how do we deploy Mutual Legal Assistance Treaty, MLAT, and U.S. kleptocracy initiative 
to resolve the earlier cases of international money laundering and prevent new money laundering and terrorism financing from happening in those countries that benefit from the U.S. taxpayer funds, uh, which at, at the same time are extorting private investments. Well, you know, that's a very interesting and difficult question because it's such a global economy now. And the Balkans is really strategically, it's got a, a, a geographic position that's very strategic in the region. And it is really a gateway between Asia and Western Europe. So we, the United States has the need for assistance in those areas. And sometimes that requires U.S. taxpayer dollars to go into those areas. But there's also other countries uh, where the U.S. taxpayer money is coming in in the, in the terms of um, assisting the civilian population for food insecurity and other things. So we never want to deny any U.S. aid coming to some of these countries that are helping the civilian population to just survive. But yes, you were talking about like the shipyards. Uh, that is a situation where the United States has to say, like, if you want to continue getting U.S. financial assistance, if you want to be using U.S. dollars in trade, if you want to be use, utilizing the U.S. financial system to conduct trade, to, to do business, then You've got to clean up your act. And I will tell you, having putting pressure on financial situations like Switzerland, 20 years ago, they cleaned up their act. They were known as the money laundering haven of the world. Not anymore. And uh, so it's got to be not just the U.S., but global pressure on areas like in the Balkans, especially Croatia, to clean up their financial sector. Because right now, so much illicit money is moving through Croatia. And it's moving through in cash, but it's also moving through in U.S. dollars. U.S. dollars are the strongest international currency for trade. And, uh, you know, right now, uh, state capture, institutional weaknesses, the lack of going after organized crime and political corruption, that has weakened Croatia. And I think that's really what put them on the FATF gray list. Mm -hmm. And if they don't address those things, they could they could be cut cut off mm. from the U.S. financial situation. Mm. You know, banks could refuse to do business right. there, and I think that would have a huge impact on their economy. Right. Indeed, uh, Deb, you raised a very important issue on Croatia because it's not just only the only European Union country on the list; it is a NATO country. And when we talk about security in Europe and also the financial system within in Europe, uh, that is certainly compromised. Uh, but one thing that we noticed in Croatia and some of these other countries, but primarily Croatia, is that the government officials have openly derided the report, making it a triviality. And media groups in Croatia and the Balkans have bought into the message. They fell for it hook, line and sinker, in fact. And Croatia's government officials are once again playing spin doctors to this incriminating report. What would be your message to Croatia's government leaders, but as well as Croatia's business, as well as media leaders looking at this issue and a bit confused of what the government is saying and what the realities are when the Financial Times states, and I quote, FATF actions can strongly affect how the financial probity of countries is perceived, unquote. You know, it's interesting because Croatia's government, uh, especially since it's state capture and media controlled, uh, can, can spin it any way they want to. But foreign banks are, are listening to FATF, mm -hmm. right? Uh, I think 
the businesses in Croatia will find it much more difficult, regardless of how uh, it's being trivialized by the government of Croatia. I think they're going to find it harder and harder for businesses uh, wanting to operate in the international financial market. And so regardless of how Croatia has, has sought to say, well, this is no big deal. No, it is a big deal. Because the other countries, I think, uh, on, on the list, Mali and uh, I forget what some of the others that were on, it's a small handful of them. Right. South Sudan, Syria, Yemen, Mozambique, Nigeria, Mali, Congo. Yeah. So I think one of the best things uh, we can do is that we push for those groups that can get the word out, right? NGOs, civil society, uh, to set the record straight and show that the impact it's going to have. But the bottom line is the international financial system, they're listening to FATF, not what's being put out by Croatia. Mm. So um, I think the businessmen might hear what Croatia is saying, but when they're trying to operate in the internet, you know, they're like, sorry, you're on the gray list. Like, you know, mm. uh, that, right. th that is already creating red flags for money laundering for, you know, do we want your money moving through our bank if we're going to get dinged uh, and investigated for possibly being involved in money laundering. So I, I think it's going to have a, a much larger impact than Croatia is making it out to be. Mm, right. Uh, Deb, earlier we talked about transparency uh, of listing beneficial ownership of bank accounts, companies and properties. And this is probably the most important step in combating corruption, kleptocracy, money laundering and terrorism financing. Uh, and in the West, we have laggard countries such as Austria and Liechtenstein that are still using legal construction of of foundations set up by law offices which are concealing beneficial ownership and these offices become de facto facilitators and enablers of crimes. Uh, on the other side, we have successful stories of transparency and accountability in various countries uh, complying with requirements of listing beneficial ownership of entities. Uh, Deb, could you kindly share with us about those countries that have successfully implemented transparency of ownership and what needs to be done to stop the facilitators and enablers of crime? Yeah, I, mean, I will say there has been a huge push for transparency and beneficial ownership in, in the last three or four years. Uh, as a matter of fact, the United States passed legislation in 2020, and I believe it goes into effect in January of 2024, uh, that will uh, require a registry that will put in millions of legal entities uh, that will show beneficial ownership. Uh, but more needs to be done. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting if you're looking at the countries that have beneficial ownership, like France, Germany, Paraguay, Peru, and yet those that some of the ones that don't, Austria, uh, Azerbaijan, El Salvador, Myanmar, Russia, of course, uh, Venezuela, you know, most of the kleptocratic countries do not have beneficial ownership, which means people gravitate to those countries. Uh, when I was investigating uh, international corruption, it was always a red flag when uh, there was a BVI corporation, when there was a Cypriot company, as well as a Delaware, Nevada, or Wyoming company in the United States. Right. And so I think Globally, there has been a push for beneficial ownership. The bottom line is it, it will add to corporate, I mean, corporate transparency makes for a better market, right? And it, it makes it much more difficult for money laundering to occur when you can tell, I mean, the whole point of money laundering is hiding the ownership and, and, and cleaning the money, dirty money. I think those countries that have successfully passed legislation to have open beneficial 
uh, transparency, beneficial under transparency is a good thing. Uh, I think some of the countries that haven't, it's like, uh, I, I believe Canada has not passed beneficial uh, transparency mm -hmm. yet. Wow. So it's very interesting to see those who haven't, but I know there's a push for it globally. And so there is momentum behind that push. And, uh, you know, again, Germany, uh, France, I think Brazil, uh, so many more countries have now beneficial ownership registries. Mm. Indeed, uh, Deb, you've mentioned about the solutions and good strategic initiatives that are taking place within America and some of these other countries. And a discussion that we've had with those that are trying to advance reforms in post-communist Eastern Europe, even though we know that the Berlin Wall fell in 1989, uh, to a certain degree, a great number of these countries have been backsliding. Uh, we recently had Michael Abramowitz from the Freedom uh, House, and he was communicating how freedom in general has been in decline. Uh, media freedom, uh, the opportunity for journalists to really do their work and do in good investigative reports. And then we came back to something very simple, but yet something very foundational that we sometimes take for granted in the West is the rule of law, the foundational rule of law that protects individuals, that protects private property, that protects freedom of speech. And we know that there has been a lot of cases in different countries that have not been addressed, uh, but we also have seen uh, certain countries or certain countries such as Estonia and also Germany when they actually went through the reunification process by embracing East Germany, did quite a bit of work in the judicial reform system. They actually fired judges that were you know, considered communist judges and judges very uh, much uh, beholden to the state or loyal to the state. And they brought in a new group of judges and prosecutors that were really focused on individual rights and protecting private property. Uh, so we are still seeing that disconnect in other countries. Uh, should we in the West look at addressing corruption by investing more in judicial reforms and helping establish stronger democratic and judicial institutions that at the end of the day really focus on eradicating corruption at the local level uh, with the examples that we see here in the Balkans. Well, I'll tell you, I mean, I, I can only speak for the United States, but the United States does a great deal of that, right? Um, not only does uh, the Department of Justice, uh, we provide what are called um, RLAs, resident legal advisors, in, uh, in so many countries. They're stationed within the U.S. embassies in those countries and where we work with our foreign, like our department of justice works with their ministry of justice to establish rule of law uh, and to help them uh, have strong laws that fight corruption and address uh, corruption in those countries. But it's not just the United States, Canada and so many other countries do this as well. So yes, there, those uh, efforts are being done. And, uh, but one of the things that can also be done while uh, the U.S. and other countries are pushing for strong rule of law, providing training. I often am asked by uh, the American Bar Association and others to go to foreign countries and help provide training on um, investigating internally corruption 
how to follow the money, how to ask. Natasha, you were talking about MLATs, mutual legal assistance trees. How do you ask for assistance internationally to get, because so frequently when illicit proceeds leave a country, they don't have the time, money, manpower, and expertise to trace the money internationally. But foreign partners will help. Under the UN Convention Against Corruption, under the UN Convention Against Transnational Organized Crime, you can ask for help from your foreign partners. And so they are they provide training on how to improve rule of law. But I will tell you, in those countries that uh, were, that are kleptocratic countries that are run by a dictator uh, or a, a corrupt regime, they don't want rule of law, right? Uh, and so they stand out. Look, who are the bad boys right now of corruption? It is China. It is Russia. It is Iran. It is Venezuela and North Korea. So those five countries really are the focus of so much uh, effort right now because the rule of law means nothing. And uh, when you can uh, kill people with impunity, when you can loot your state uh, coffers with impunity that the entire world suffers. We look forward to presenting the second part of this conversation with Deborah Laprevot, former senior FBI official, next weekend. This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting Corporation and Supertalk Mississippi Media. Thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joe Lott Sami, your co-host, joined by economist Natasha Sardorch, co-founder of International Leaders Summit and the Jerusalem Leaders Summit.